Your reputation's on the line. You're telling a company how to operate their business from a technological standpoint. So if you say something wrong, give them bad advice, I mean, it could really screw them up. So you have to be sharp and be on top of your knowledge. You're listening to Stories from the Top, an inside guide to better business development. We are here with Mike McGann, the founder of Cubion. Mike, can you describe your business for people who may not know what that is? Sure. Um, Cubion is a structured cabling uh, company and uh, managed IT. So we pull uh, network cable, um, fiber optics, and then handle your IT needs. Very cool. So what did you originally go to school for? Um, I actually went to school at Cat Brandywine for just your basic computer repair, and then it kind of morphed into networking, did like the A-plus and net-plus certifications. Um, And that was the extent of my uh, after-high school education, and most of it's just self-taught. The cabling industry is, you know, pretty easy, you know, easy industry to learn. Um, It's just time-consuming. So when you were going to school for computers, did you have a specific career in mind? Not really. Um, I wanted to be my own boss, I think, from pretty much 15, 16, 17 years old. My dad was an entrepreneur. He ran his appraising company for, you know, a long time. So I liked the idea of starting my own company and being my own boss. And um, we kind of formed a little thing in high school. And, um, you know, that was... Didn't last very long, but, you know, hey, it was the, the the bump I needed to get out and do some real research and things like that. What was that business that you formed in high school? It was, oh, let me see if I can remember the name. Um, it, I think it was CCCNS, Chester County Computer and Networking Services. And it was like literally the dumbest logo you can possibly think of. It was like a pick, pick art from... <laughs> 2000, so it was really stupid, but <laughs> it, I mean, it worked for, you know, a couple of my friends and, you know, in the Votech school there, we kind of wanted to build our own thing, so. And how old were you? At that I point? was probably 16 or 17 years old. Okay, working yeah. with your dad? No, um, I was, I mean, I, I did work for him for a little while, um, just doing some pictures of houses and things like that and doing some basic paperwork, um, but my dad was appraising and I was IT. I mean, you know, my dad dabbled in the IT, so I guess I kind of got a little bit of the IT side from him as well. Um, but, you know, I kind of surpassed him in that aspect. So was your dad like your main mentor in business leading into it or? Yeah. Yeah. He um, he, st- he ran, his, uh, ran his own office supply store um, years ago. He just did it right out of, his, uh, out of my mom's parents' front porch over in Paoli. And he got really big really quick uh, to the point where it was – he kind of had to make a decision. Like, you know, do I keep going or do I focus on the family life? So – and my mom was pregnant with me at the time. And it's like, nah, I think I'm just going to go into the, you know, into the working world. So he did that for a little while. And then eventually, you know, after I was kind of old enough to um, – yeah, you know, take care of myself for the most part. He went back into uh, his own his own business. So, what kind of like a business type of person was he? Was he like real sales heavy or more operational? Like, what was his kind of take on business philosophy? 
Uh, I mean, my dad is a completely different creature. He, he wouldn't even, he's just, uh, he's a difficult person in that, in that he's stubborn, but you know, he's also has that, that very giving spirit. So he was definitely like a hardcore salesman, but you know, he also wanted to be honest with it too. So, uh, he just was, the, I think the most important thing I learned from him was the work ethic. Like, you know, hard work pays off. So that's, that's kind of, that was the most important thing I think I learned from him. Um, okay. So you, you had that business in high school, then you went and you studied computers. How did you go from, um, from there to starting QBeyond? So I started after I graduated high school, I worked in, uh, office max for a while. I was their lead sales associate, logistics supervisor for a while. And the whole time I was working there, I was kind of building my, you know, clientele base, which eventually I found that they kind of frowned upon and you know, got a little irritated <laughs> that I was selling my services on company time. Uh, but that's, you know, that's, that's for another podcast, but <laughs> um I was just building my, you know, my client base. They would, you know, people would come in the store and they would buy a whole bunch of computers and I would give them a car and say, yeah, I'll set it up for you. And I kind of built my base from there. And then I started my first company, um, which was Mike's Computer Network Solutions. It was another dumb name, but it started out as just computer repair. And then as my knowledge grew and the kind of the industry changed, we did more networking, more web design stuff, more, you know, on-site services and things like that. And then I changed the name to MCNS Technologies. And I ran that for probably 15 years. Um, and then at one point, it was just, it was so many ups and downs. It was, it was like a roller coaster because I didn't really know how to run a business. I wasn't properly funded, didn't have the right, you know, the right staff. Um, I tried to do too much too soon. So I made a lot of those earlier entrepreneur mistakes. And at the end of the day, I was like, you know, I'm just working for my staff. Like, I don't have anything to show for it. And like, you know, hey, I, I want to take care of all my employees, but I still need to take care of myself too. So it's just, it, it wasn't working out. And I was looking to get married and I want to be able to support, you know, the family and things like that. So I decided to take a, a job as a project manager. And again, a lot of my cabling experience from, you know, from then, uh, from that company, um, didn't, things didn't work out in that company. So I got out and decided to go back into business for myself and made smarter decisions. And it's been growing ever since. So I want to go back a little bit um, and tell me about some of those early mistakes. You said those early entrepreneur mistakes. That you were making? Um, doing too much um, too soon, I think, was one of the biggest ones trying to uh, evolve into a lot of different areas of business without the proper funding, without the proper research. Um, I had a, a business partner, or I guess he was more of an employee at that point, um, and... Uh, listen to some bad advice from him. Um, you know, he wanted to 
do a bunch of different things and you want to, oh, let's, let's do web hosting. Let's do data backup. And, and I'm like, you know, we're not insured for this. We're not, we, we don't have the right resources for this. And, and it just, it wasn't working out. It was making us look bad because we couldn't, you know, we couldn't serve our customers properly. And we just, you know, we just made a lot of, um, just, you know, dumb, dumb dis, you know, decisions that kind of got us in the wrong direction. Um, I hired people too soon, hired the wrong people. Um, I had a bookkeeper that wasn't keeping books. <laughs> so she was just, you know, getting a, getting a check. Um, tried to hire salespeople and, you know, wasted money on them. So it's, I guess, I guess the, the other mistake would be not properly researching your staff, like just hiring people and not asking the right questions and kind of vetting them properly. I think that was one of the other, other decisions, uh, mistakes too. So did you learn any, um, any certain like principles or anything to help you avoid those same kind of mistakes in the future? Um, I don't know if it's, um, necessarily principles, but I would say I learned to trust my instincts better, listen to myself rather than other people. I mean, I value everyone's advice, obviously, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm the boss, the decision has to be mine and I have to go with what I feel is the right decision inside because I didn't want to do, you know, I mean, I did want to do web hosting, but not until we had the capital to do it properly and we had the right staff to do it properly. Um, but I was kind of hoping it would just grow and, and that, you know, it doesn't work that way. You have to have a, a plan and a strategy. So, so and I, I was really young when I started it too. I was going to say, um, so when you decided to start again, I guess it was your Cubone would be technically your third business. Oh, well, I mean, second, the, the, the other one was, just, it wasn't even a legit business. It was, it was just, just a name we had in high okay. school. Yeah. Um, so second attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, before I, we dive into some of the logistics of setting that up, how do you like to define IT as an industry? It's such a broad term, and I feel like everyone kind of has their own definition of it. How do you describe that? Like, what is IT services? Well, that, that, that's a question I'm still asking myself because there, there's a <laughs> lot of it, – it is a very broad term. And um, you have, uh, for example, we deal with um, – IT people, I say that with quotes um, in these higher companies that have no knowledge of IT whatsoever, but yet they're, they're the chief IT officer. So they're just in a role to, you know, push the push the checks or, you know, make the decisions and things like that. So then you also have IT where it's like uh, web design or more um, software related. It's just there, there's a whole group of things that can fit into that into that term. I would say IT is basically information technology. It's anything that has to do with information and technology and a combination of both. So when you started QBeyond, how did you define what services you were going to include and not include in your business? Well, <clears throat> QBeyond was supposed to be a managed IT company first. So we were supposed to do all IT and cabling as a um, second source of income for the you know for the business, it, the roles kind of reversed because um, I was working as a project manager for a cabling company out in Philadelphia, 
and I gained a lot of my knowledge uh, through cabling. And I said, wow, this is pretty lucrative. The overhead's low, and the return on your investment is pretty high. Because, you know, cable was cheap back then, and it still is fairly you know inexpensive, um, but it was definitely cheaper back then. And you didn't have to hire $100,000 a year employees, you know, that have Cisco certification, things like that. You could train the average guy to pull cable and can get them for a decent price. So it was actually, you know, pretty profitable. And so I looked at that <clears throat> structure and I said, you know, hey, if, if we do three, four big cabling jobs, you know, we pocket hundred grand, two hundred thousand dollars cash. We have a lot of now liquid assets we can use to help build other um, portions of the company. So that was that was the goal. That was my strategy um, for going cabling first and then IT second. So as you decide that you want to go into cabling, um, you're not working at Office Max anymore. So how did you go about getting those? new customers? Um, we did a lot of research online. Um, one of the biggest sources of our um, revenue is a, a lead system that we use. So there we work with a partner that finds us leads for people who are looking for structured cabling work. We um, pay a fee for that service and we also buy the lead. We make contact with the customer and, you know, we probably close between 40 to 60% of them, you know, that we get. And obviously, you know, one closed deal um, can, you know, pay for that lead service for the next year or two easily. Is that like a, a private arrangement you have with this person or um, is that like a public lead service? It is. It is a public lead service. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and... We also reached out to different, you know, IT companies because there are IT companies that don't do cabling at all. Um, we're we're unique in the fact that we do both. So, you know, we just cold call IT companies. Um, maybe go driving around, look for a couple computer shops that you see on the road. Stop in, introduce ourselves, then say, you know, hey, you know, we're local to the area. Uh, if you guys don't do any cable services, you know, we could do that for you. And so we have, actually have a couple that we partner with like that. Um, and then we do a lot of work with um, what we call uh, rollout companies. They're just TTU companies, they're testing and uh, turn-up companies. So they have <clears throat> um, huge like national accounts. They have like uh, Amazon, United Rentals, um, Tractor Supply, these you know huge national accounts. And these companies find um, smaller companies like myself and others uh, all over the country and they just you know hand us work you know they're like hey you're, you're our guy from pennsylvania or you're our guy from new jersey so we constantly try to ex expand our market so you know we're we're now a national vendor so we actually go all over the country and do work because we have you know we can we find guys in in these areas so that's that's the main source of our of our income right now now we get our business. So you get a new client and they have a, a large job for you. I'd imagine there's a certain amount of overhead or like equipment that you have to purchase up front. 
um, to get a job. How do you go about funding that? Do you just have like a, a giant pile of cash that you use or do you get loans? <laughs> I wish I had a giant pile of cash I use. I mean, I think it's <laughs> everyone wishes that, right? Um, I walk out back and just shake this tree and these dollar bills just start coming out, you know. <laughs> I won't give that trade secret away though, but <laughs> um, so I mean, we do um, try to hold a certain amount of cash, um, you know, in the bank because we do it's simple calculation. It takes money to make money. So you have to have money in order to make money. That was one of the mistakes I made, you know, way back in the day. I tried to do all this stuff with a hundred bucks in the bank. You know, I mean, it's not, it's just not possible. So um, we use um, our, you know, our capital purchase account. And we also use line of credits and credit cards, things like that. Um, but the, I mean, there's not a lot of, overhead um necessary sometimes it, you know it can be it all depends on the the project <clears throat> sometimes the it companies will buy the materials um sometimes our vendors will you know our clients will buy the materials it just depends on, on the situation but um, we try to be flexible in that we will you know foot the cost um we sometimes we ask for like a 35 to 50% deposit, uh, depending on the situation. Some clients are a little bit leery about giving you money up front. And in, in those cases, then we will, you know, pull some stuff on our line of credit to do that. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what we've learned to do, too, is is do a 50% deposit. Mm -hmm. um, but that's interesting. Some of them, your clients won't give a deposit down or they didn't or they're reluctant to. Um. Sometimes it's when you get to a certain um, stage in business, you're the kind of clients that you deal with change. So, you know, we deal with uh, Amazon, for you know, for example, you know, Amazon's the biggest company in the world. Now, we're not big enough to go directly to Amazon, but we go through another company that's pretty large themselves. If you're going to play with, you know, the big boys in the industry, you have to be able to, you know, walk the talk. So we don't like to ask, you know, for money. I'll I'll pull some credit cards together. I'll pull some from our line of credit. Um, we have other funding sources um, that we use as well, um, some private equity and things like that. It just, it makes you look more professional if you could do it without asking for money. So... That's it's kind of where you know where I am with the business right now is it's we're we're changing into that scenario where the customers that we're getting are a little bit bigger and they would expect you to be able to front this kind of stuff because if you can't they're like nah I don't know if I want to deal with you. So how many people are in the company right now? Well, I guess it's on like a corporate level since sounds like most of you guys are subcontractors for a lot of the cable work. Um yeah, we we have a good team of subcontractors. Um there right now we have three uh, full time, uh, including myself, and we have two part time guys. Um, we're going to start interviewing probably for another full time guy here soon. So how do you? Um, so what is like your role? I know you're the owner. What do you? What title do you give yourself? And what kind of responsibilities do you personally manage at, on, in the business? Depends on the day of the week. <laughs> it's um. It depends on how busy we are. I. I try to stay out of the field. I'm probably probably 
60, 40, and probably 40% in the field, 60% in the office doing the, you know, the operational stuff and kind of managing the projects and things like that. Um, but <clears throat> if we get really busy, um, I'm going to be in the field. I'm going to be pulling cable just with the rest of the guys because, you know, we got to do it. We're just busy. Um, and I can't, you know, overwork them too much. So if you have a, a job like a warehouse for Amazon and you're running all the cables through it, how many contractors and employees does it take to do a job like that? Every Amazon's different. Um, some, uh, one we did out in Pittsburgh was needed just maybe four or five guys. Um, when we did out in Philadelphia recently, we needed, uh, actually I think it was Harrisburg. Um, we needed like eight. It just depends on <clears throat> how big the warehouses are. Um, we're pulling, you know, we're, we're pulling fiber from one end of the warehouse, 2,500 feet to the other side of the warehouse. So it's, and it's, a, and it's, it's, like it's, a it's, it's heavy, it's walk. heavy. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's 24 strand fiber. It's, it's heavy fiber. You have to put pulleys and make big service loops, you know, every couple hundred feet or you'll never be able to pull it. So we have to have a guy, you know, set up here and then 400 feet down here, another guy set up and then a couple hundred feet down there, another guy set up and then we, just, then we move the whole operation down. So it, it takes, it's, it's a lot, Are those especially with those Amazons because there's, they're so busy. You're working around all their, all their I was going to ask on those jobs like Amazon, where it's like a bigger, huge type of just web you guys are putting in essentially, is that usually like, okay, you guys have one week to get it done or... Like, how does the structure work? Like, do you want to get it done as fast as possible? Or are you there on like a day rate? Um, we usually give them a flat quote for it. So, so the faster you get it possible, done. Yeah. 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 Um, they take anywhere from like a week to a month usually. And do you guys have anything in place to try to keep that moving since you are on a flat rate? Like, um, yeah, that's either myself or whoever I put in charge. The management. Yeah. We typically have either myself or a job foreman that'll be in charge that will you know, make sure everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing to get the job done. Um, how much training is required for somebody who's going to be pulling this type of cable? Because I know we've had conversations about how this cable is different from, say, like electrical cable and things like that. Um, you could probably learn the basics in a couple of weeks. It's one of those practice makes perfect things. Like the more you do it, the more it just becomes second nature. It just becomes repetitive. The work is pretty much the same. You know, you're going to pop a ceiling tile, pull a cable, cut a hole in the wall, fish it down and terminate it and, you know, call it a day. So it's 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 generally the same as, you know, that you do every single day. So it's just repetition. Um, now, there's there, there's certifications and things like that that you can get that um, – require some schooling and things like that, study materials, more, you know, more terminology than anything else. Um, you know, we don't deal with that, you know, with that side of it too much. We, we follow the, all the industry standards that, um, you're supposed to, um, but we haven't had a need to send our guys out to, out to school or class or anything like that. And no one has required it at all. Uh, what's the process you go about for training new guys? We take them out. Um, usually if I have a, a new candidate that I'm looking at, um, we'll kind of take them out, 
you know, for the day. I'll throw him some cash or, you know, whatever for the day and um, see how, you know, see how he does. Just basic, yeah, hey, go grab that. And, yeah, it's kind of like see if you can follow instructions. If you can follow instructions, then he's teachable. So if you can't follow instructions, you know, McDonald's is iron. You can go there. <laughs> so that's it, that's the most important thing is, is if you can follow instructions and you're competent and you can be on time and pick up a tool, um, then you're trainable and, you know, we can make it work. Um, so after that first process, we just make sure that, you know, he's competent and can follow instructions. Then we'll start actually teaching him. You know, we'll have one of our guys be with him. So, hey, we're going to pull this cable here. You know, you're going to pop these ceiling tiles. Um, don't lay the cable on the tile. Um, you know, pull it this way. Don't kink it. Um, when you get to the wall, we'll show you how to cut the hole in the wall, how to fish it down, proper use of the tools. So, and, you know, if they, if they like it, they'll come out, you know, for the week. And after I'd say maybe a week or two weeks, I'll have a pretty competent understanding of how to be able to do it. They won't be able to do it on their own yet, but as long as they have someone supervised, they can probably run off and do some things on their own. Yeah, I imagine, too, there's like, <clears throat> must be truckloads of cable at some point for some of these big jobs. How do you guys deal with, after you purchase all this stuff, do you ship it straight to the job site or do you have like a storage location? How do you guys manage? Um, we have a project trailer that we store a, a lot of the cable in. Um, and yeah, we, we order 10 to 20,000 feet of cable at a time. Uh, it's just something that we always stock. So when we get low, I'll call our vendor, we'll order another 8,000 feet, another 10,000 feet. Um, we try to keep a couple thousand feet just for our day-to-day -day service calls. And then if we get a certain project that comes in, like, hey, you know, we're, we're going to do a big warehouse. We need 100,000 feet of cable. Then I'll order 100,000 feet just for that project. And we'll either drop ship that or the guys will bring it out. So, yeah, you, you were saying you guys do a lot of – you use a lead service as well as a lot of relationships and partnerships with other IT people. Do you guys do any other marketing stuff? I know it's such a niche B2B service you guys have. It's not like Facebook would be very effective, but. <laughs> um, we, don't, we don't really do much marketing um, other than the pick up the phone, call some of your customers you haven't talked to in a while. Um, I just called a guy I haven't talked to in 10 years, you know, the other day. He was one of my old customers from my old business and just going through my <clears throat> phone contacts and I was like, oh, haven't talked to him in a while. Decided to give him a call. I mean, that's that's kind of the extent of our marketing. Um, other than the website you guys did for us, um, you know, we don't really do too much marketing. A lot of it just just repeat business. So, if we get one new <clears throat> IT company, I mean, that could be lucrative for the next year. You know, it just they just they're busy, so they keep you feed us work. I always try to. I want to be the guy that's that's being fed. You know, I, I want to get, you know, get the work coming in. So did you ever get into Google ads or anything like that? Um, in my old company, I did, I did like Google AdWords campaign and I did like mailers and, um, yellow book and it's doesn't work for my industry. At least, at least not for the, the niche of that IT term that I fall into. Mm-hmm. So how do you guys um, organize your sales structure? Are you doing most of the sales? I, I do most of the sales right now. Um, 
we're transitioning to really build the IT side or the managed service side. And that's going to require a little bit more of a salesy approach. Um, so we have another lead service that we're getting ready to be onboarded with here probably in the next couple of months. Um, I'm just trying to narrow down the right sales guy for it. And once those leads start coming in, he's just going to, you know, pound the phones and just line up uh, new MSP contracts. So uh, what's your process for sales? Like, let's say a, a lead comes in, either a phone call or an email. Where do you take it from there all the way to the close? Well, the, um, the, the good thing about the lead service that we have is they are qualified. So they are people that are actually looking for um, our services. So it's a pretty easy icebreaker. Um, you don't have to like try to get them hooked onto it. They already they already know what you're offering. They already know what they want for the most part. So we'll just call it, you know, set up the make the phone call and try to set up a meeting. So I wouldn't expect my sales guy to have a super super tech, you know, background. His goal is just to get him in front of a meeting with either myself or in or, or one of my other engineers. And then we'll kind of take it from there. So we want to um, assess, um, design, implement, and then train. So we kind of assess what they have. We look at their pain points, the issues that they're having. We kind of make a design that's going to work for them. Then we implement that design, and then we train them on it. So it's kind of like the the first person that they're contacted from in your company is really more of an appointment setter. And then you come in as the yeah. expert to close the deal? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. So how many uh, experts do you have? How many closers do you have? That's, I would say it's myself and Brandon, our other main engineer. And then how many appointment setters on the sales team? None yet. Okay. We're, we're, yeah, we're still looking for a guy to fill that role. Okay, so that's, that's, a little, that's probably a couple months out yet. Okay. Um, so that's one of the areas you plan to develop. Are there any other areas you're planning on developing new positions for the company? Um, yeah, we're we're looking at doing some sales, uh, or not like not sales, but like equipment sales, like used equipment. Um, we get a lot of used equipment from companies that are downsizing. Um, just want to get rid of stuff. Do they just give it to you? Oh yeah, they they all they very often give it to us. Um, <clears throat> they don't they don't want to deal with it. So it's like they'd rather have someone else take it for free than have to find someone to recycle it or you know charge them to get rid of it. And um, we'll look at it. if it's worth it. You know we'll take it and we'll fix it up and sell it. But if it's not, then we'll recycle it and make a couple bucks from that. So do you guys do any government contracting work? Um, we've dabbled in it a little bit. Um, we did a job for the Department of State in Philadelphia um, last year. Um, we do a roundabout um, way we contract through the state of Delaware. Um, we do a lot of work for their for the housing department. Um, I guess the Department of Housing for Delaware. We do a lot of their affordable homes. Uh, we do Wi-Fi for them. It's not a contract directly with them. We go through another uh, developer that has that contract with them. Uh, I would say that's probably the extent of our government work. Um, do you guys, um, I know like in Philly, it's very union based. Do you guys have like, do you work as union or non-union? Do you ever get into any issues where someone wants you to do a job, but it's a full union gig? Um, 
we do occasionally run into those situations. I try to steer clear of them. Um, we're not affiliated with the, with the union at all, and I try to stay out of that. Is there a cabling union? <clears throat> There's not a low-voltage cabling union, but that would fall under the electrician's union. So whatever that one is. Um, and, you know, we've, we've, we've had some scraps with them before, and it's just not, you know, really want to tangle with them. So mm-hmm. we try to steer clear of that as best we can. So, yeah, so we have cabling and then the management services, stuff like that. Is there any other services you guys have? Yeah, I mean, just IT and cabling. Anything? Right now. Anything you guys are looking to expand into? Um, other than the used equipment um, sales, um, nothing yet. I wanted to ask, when you're working with the government, what has that process been like for you? Because I know we've... We've done a couple of things with the government. Some people are crazy about the idea because there's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Other people try to avoid it because there's so many regulations and so many hoops you got to jump through. What's been your experience? Um, it again, it depends on the job. Um, the, the there's so many like guidelines and and. Um, stipulations and things like that when, when you're going through the government um, and you have to be qualified in so many different areas. So if you're a certified small business, um, the government has a certain amount of money set aside for certified small businesses, which means you're going to have a much better chance of landing those jobs because they'll reach right out to your company and say, hey, Here's a job. Here's a budget. You know, can you do it? What do you have to do to become certified as a small business? A lot of paperwork. Um, we haven't done it yet. Um, it's something that we're considering. Um, I'm just not 100% sold if I want to go that route or not. Um, because it is, the government doesn't give deposits. You know what I mean? So it's it's something that if you do get into that route, you need to be pretty financially stable. And they probably take a long that. time to pay too. Uh, I mean, y- yes and no, and that that depends on on the 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 job too. Like if it's if it's under a certain amount of money, they might just give you a credit card, pay the whole thing. Or the Department of State, they did the whole thing on a credit card before we even did the job. You know, they're like it was it was only like thirty five hundred bucks. He's like, yeah, we're good for it. Can you take a credit card? Sure. All right. And we did the job four months later because <laughs> they kept they kept changing the schedule. They kept doing this different, doing that different. So, yeah, and that that was a pretty easy one. But I'm sure you'll get some of them that are be like, yeah, we need you to order, you know, fifty thousand dollars worth of stuff, and we'll we'll pay in six months. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm, when do you want to jump on that boat? You yeah, know? we've seen too with a lot of the government stuff. It's like they need to get a repo- proposal from three different people, and then they go with the cheapest one. Like they're like have to, depending on who it is you're working with. So we we found it to be less than appealing to dive into that whole yeah. world of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, also yep. sometimes there's like local governments which aren't so bad to work with. So it's mm-hmm. like. Yeah, I guess it totally depends on the the level that you're trying to go. Exactly. Yeah. 
It's, it's like with business too. It's like the bigger the business, the slower they move and get things paid. You know, like certain people we work, it took like eight months to get paid on something. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, they won't even let you start working on it till you get paid. So it's like, right. okay, right. we'll start on this next year. Right. Handshake and yep. <laughs> wait. Yep. Where, yep. yeah, a small business, they can give you a check right there, like at your first meeting if they like it. Yeah. Yep. So it's like you, you pick and choose what speed you want to move as a business too. Which, exactly. And, yep. and yeah, it's, it's nice to have the mix because then you have your long-term stuff. Okay, we know in a year that's going to mm -hmm. become yeah. a thing or, you know, this next six months, yeah. these smaller, fast things. Will... I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd much rather have, you know, or it's a, a combination of both. I, I don't want all $100,000 projects. I, I'd rather have like ten $10,000 projects, maybe one $100,000 project because the – the bigger projects can go crazy really quick. Your, your labor hours can can just skyrocket, and there's so many other things that can go wrong. So it can be very lucrative, or it can bankrupt you. Yeah, so, I feel like it's almost yeah. dangerous having that set rate for per job. Like, do you guys right. ever consider like, or to have jobs where are we got to do this on hourly or day rate? It's a it's a mixture. Um, so a lot of our um, rollout companies, the ones that have the national accounts, they're ninety percent TNM. So they want you to give them a, you know, hey, here's your hourly rate. Go out and do the job. And sometimes they have expectations of when it should get done, but other times they're pretty flexible because they know it's it's the nature of the business. Um, and occasionally they'll, they'll ask for a quote if it's going to be like a bigger um, project. And then some of our other uh, customers, uh, more more of our direct clients are usually more quote based. So we'll, we'll give an actual quote because they like to see that that flat number, you know. And for the most part, we <clears throat> are pretty pretty solid with our with our quoting. Uh, obviously, things you know things are a little bit sideways sometimes. Um, and depending on the job, you can put some stipulations in there and say, you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna estimate the amount of hours, and here's your price for this, and you know, if this happens, it's going to be this price it's because you don't, you don't know. Like I can get in a building and it will be all solid ceilings and I have no idea what's above the ceiling. So I can't just, you know, cut into them willy nilly. You know, we got to like, you know, make an inspection hole, take a camera, look around, see what's going on. And then that can change the whole, our whole game plan. Do you guys do like the drywall repair around stuff like that? Or is that? Um, I mean, I don't do it. I, you, you don't want me doing drywall repair. It's, you know, <laughs> going to look pretty bad. But um, we, we have a guy that we can bring in to do that. Yeah. I guess that's like a project by project basis. Yeah, so exactly. Like yeah. Totally different. And, and most, you know, most of the, um, if we do have to cut into drywall, we usually will do a site survey and let them know ahead of time and say, we'll cut the drywall, but you got to fix it. So as long as you're okay with that, we'll make the holes, but you got to batch them later. And a lot of their maintenance guys will be able to do that with, no, you know, no problem. So I want to say if, if you were going to rebuild this business, knowing everything you know now, and you had to restart from scratch, would you do anything different? Yes, I would definitely do things different. Um, get better contracts, um, be a little bit wiser um, with the <clears throat> people you hire to structure your company. Um, you know, we had a gentleman that he was a really nice guy. He did a great job on our logo and things like that, but wasn't the best at at structuring a legal, you know, business. Even though he said he could, but 
structures the wrong way and um you know it causes the causes to hit some bumps in the road with you know with some contracts that kind of went south when we first started um but that would be the biggest thing I would change is, is just be a little bit more um, cautious with that, um, getting better contracts in place. You know, it's not the out west where you can just get a, you know, get a handshake and a stern look and, you know, do your business on that anymore. You really got to get everything I's dotted, T's crossed. And um, that was... That would be one of my biggest things. And you know, when you say that. contracts, you mean the written actual legal yeah, document, yeah, right? Contract, yeah, fee, your fee agreement contract. or what you know, whatever it states. You know, this is what we're doing. This is what you're paying us, and this is how long we're gonna, you know, we're gonna float the money for. How we're the progress payment you're gonna give? Just details, everything. Did you? Uh, I, I'm just wondering why did you say that? Did you run into some areas where you lost some money or? or... Well, yeah, our, our very first job we got involved um, with a school district project that uh, wound up being uh, like a prevailing wage rate, and um, the company that hired us um, fraudulently dis like they did not disclose that, which is against the law. It's like you know, it's a fraud. What so, is a prevailing wage rate? Uh, that has to do with the union. So. If you're on a federally funded project that meets the criteria, you have to pay your employees a certain rate, mm. which is going to be the same as union rates. So prevailing wage is, is whatever you look up the union rates, and that's what you got to pay your staff. So I wasn't paying any of them that, that rate because I didn't know. Um, it's actually our first like large project. And they came back and, and bid us. <clears throat> and, you know, we got sued and we sued them. And it's it was just a costs a lot of money so but we came out of it um you know the uh they understood that the main culprit was the one that, that broke the law and um they did a lot of uh real shady things to cover that up and it wasn't their first school district they did it on they did it on three other ones where they broke that law they didn't disclose that information so they got nailed even harder than we did but you know we still got a bloody nose from it and was this like a third party in between the school district and you guys who was yes. arranging the job? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a company that hired us to they they had the the contract with the school district. So they they hired us to pull the cable. So and those and they did not disclose that uh prevailing wage law. So why would they do that? Were they like pocketing extra money somehow? Oh, absolutely. Or? It's it's I mean the and that's that's the other thing with the government too, man. It's so corrupt. You know, there's so especially with especially local school districts, um, things like that. Everyone knows everybody, so I guarantee you there was someone in the school district that knew someone from that company, and they were they were getting something arranged. Kind of, yeah, could almost bet money on it. And then yeah. you're stuck with so like they must have had a larger sum. They see you as a new company. Yeah, who, you know, you put in a lower bid, and weren't aware that if yep. you weren't paying your guys a certain rate, then you would be sued. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's yeah. kind of nefarious. Yeah. No, yeah, it was, it was, it was absolutely, um, clear, like clearly broke the law. And how would you have educated yourself about those laws? Um, now that I know, you know, there's, there's request to know laws. So you can like, you can demand the school district give you the contract. 
So I can I can actually look at the school district contract and I say, oh, it, this is prevailing wage. Oh, I know exactly where this money's coming from now. So they're getting it from this, you know, the federal E-rate program, which is guaranteed federal funds, is prevailing wage. Um, so we, we educated ourselves on um, prevailing wage uh, really quickly. And we, we were, we've successfully done some other prevailing wage projects now, now that we know. Just bidding so, accordingly. Right, exactly. I just bid it accordingly. You know, I, I pay the guys the rate that they need by law. We have no issues. And that's and you have to pay that to like. I'm a little confused on how that setup works. So if you're on one of those prevailing wage things, are the guys you have to bring in union? No, but you have to pay them union. Exactly. Scale? Yep. Yep. It's a. It's a. The prevailing wage exists because of the union. Okay. So it's basically another way. It's it's a way you pay non-union guys union rates. Is what okay. is what that is. So. And who brings yeah. the charges against you, when if if you fail to do that? Um, I mean, if the employees find out, they can, um, you know, in, in my, uh, situation, um, they were, I mean, the guys I had contracts working for me then, uh, they were, you know, they were all in on it. So they all, they all knew the it workers? was, oh yeah, yeah, it was. Is that where the they were, came from? Well, I think they were, they were, they were trying to, to, uh, sneak in. Um, this organization somehow, the, the company that was violating this law in three other school districts, and I was short of guys, so they, they, were, they were able to get in through my company. And then he So, exactly. And then, the and then they, yeah, right, they raised the fact, I, I was the honest guy, because when I found out about it, I went and told my guys, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to not disclose that, I'm not going to be dishonest about it, I'm just like, hey man, I just found out this is what the situation is, and you guys are entitled to this money, so congratulations, you know, guys! <laughs> right now, we got to figure it out. So, yeah, but you know, they all filed lawsuits. It's just lawsuits going back and forth, man. It's just nuts. How long was that whole process? I'd say six months, probably, of just you know. I mean, they still the company still owes me money. I, I won the lawsuit. I got default judgment against them. They owe me seventy six thousand dollars. You know, I got twenty three. <laughs> That was only on a deposit, so they they still haven't paid me the rest of the money. So, but they went out of business. Yeah, what you, you know, you gonna so, do? Right. Yeah, they they went out of business, and the one owner, I believe, went to jail for tax fraud or something like that. Oh wow, yeah. So, so gonna be tough to get that. Yeah. Then. Yep. Yeah, we hear about that a lot. The same people who will be the first ones to defraud you. Yeah. Usually, they're some of the first people going out of business. Oh yeah. Yep. In the long run. Yep. So. Yeah. Doesn't pay. Just be honest. <laughs> yeah. So we covered a little bit, of it, but I wanted to ask if someone wants to start their own IT services business, what advice would you give them on strategizing what area they want to go into within IT and then how to kind of get set up properly? What kind of research do you want to do? Did you do any like competitor analysis when you started out or anything like that? Um, I didn't. Um, we just kind of learned as we as we went. Um, we weren't really IT based, you know. The 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 whole uh, structure of the company kind of switched so rapidly because I got into this whole new world of cabling, and I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. This is quick. It's easy to do. Let's. I mean, I I I've, I've been doing cabling for forever, so I you know I knew how to do it. That's why I was able to you know be a project manager for that, for a company out in Philly. Um, 
you know, I already had the experience in doing it, but I did not know how lucrative and profitable it was to actually do that for a living. I didn't even know the industry was so big. It's like a $25 billion industry, the the low-volt cabling. So um, we didn't really do a lot of research on the IT side of it, which is why we're kind of gradually getting getting into that side of it. So we're kind of starting to do our research now. And IT changes so rapidly. I mean, it's it's changing every day. So it, it's hard to say, you know, learn, learn this because it, that could change. So it's, you have to do like continue education, always be on podcasts and YouTube Googling things. So you keep yourself up with the, with how technology changes. Um, Cause your, your reputation's on the line. You know, you're, you're telling a company um, how to pretty much operate their business from a technological standpoint. So if you say something wrong, give them bad advice, I mean, it could really screw them up. So you have to be sharp and be on top of your, of your knowledge. So I would say, make sure you have a good sound knowledge and hire good people that know what they're doing as well. Um, yeah, that, that would be my, my best advice. Okay. Good. <clears throat> Um, any other announcements or plans for the future you guys have going on? Um, not right now. I'm sure there will be more announcements coming. I can keep you guys up to date. Okay, yeah. On it. And if anybody wants to speak with you or get in touch, what's the best way? Just shoot me an email. Yep, michael at qbeyond.com. michael at qbeyond.com. Okay. Yep. Well, that wraps up things here on the podcast, awesome. Mike. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Stories from the Top is your guide to successful business development. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find Edge of Cinema on YouTube. Stories from the Top is an Edge of Cinema production hosted by Matthew Skura and Jeremy Schmidt. To learn more or get in touch, visit edgeofcinema.com slash podcast. <laughs>